Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 59, recorded September 1st, 2011. Alright, so this is episode number 7 of our 90s series, and today we are covering the trial of Captain James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so... Uh, it's been done before, but it's being done again. And to prepare for this episode, or this, this episode of our show, I watched an episode of the original show entitled Court Martial. Yes. Which was a first season episode where Kirk went on trial for the murder of crewman, crewman Finney. Which, I remember not liking it too much as a kid, because, you know, it was just basically a court courtroom episode. Yeah, a lot of talking. Yeah, but it was actually pretty good. And it actually has some ties in with, with this uh, these three issues. It has definite tie-ins with these three issues. It's really amazing how Peter David is... He's like... He's like a Star Trek historian. And nowhere is it more uh, the spotlight on his historianism, <laughs> if that's a word, uh, is shining on, on that. Because there's all kinds of references to the Star Trek universe. Right. And I always enjoyed reading his novels because he was always so great about picking up a random character from this episode and then a random character from this episode and, and tying them in together into a story that was like believable. Right. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I think he's, he's definitely one of the better Star Trek authors that, uh, that I've read. Yeah. So this, and this one is, is absolutely really good. Yeah. Still has a little too much comedy in it for me, but, uh, uh it, I still enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, it's good to have some lightness, but if you're going to take the trial situation seriously at all, there are certain lines I think you shouldn't cross, and I think they 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 cross that line in the third uh, issue. But let's let's start with the first. Yeah, let's start with the first. So this is issue number ten, released July of 1990, entitled "The First Thing We Do." Credits go to writer Peter David, penciler James W. Fry. Inker Arnie Starr, letterer Bob Pinaha, colorist Tom McCraw, and editor is Robert Greenberger. All right, so the cover shows Kirk in the foreground holding up his right hand about to take a pledge. Behind him is Spock, McCoy, and a random Klingon. And behind them is a shot of the Enterprise banking over a huge planet. And we see the title, The Trial of James T. Kirk, Part 1 of 3, Opening Arguments, on the cover. So the story starts off with the Enterprise above Earth. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Chekhov are in the transporter room preparing for departure. Ahura wishes Kirk luck by saying that she will leave a candle in the window for him. Spock starts to explain how that would be futile, but is cut off, thankfully, by McCoy and then Transporter Chief 
Cherninsky beams them away. The Enterprise crew finds themselves rematerialized between two long rows of fierce-looking warriors. On one side are the Klingons, and on the other side, uh, Sala and his Nazgul followers. The Federation president starts to make introductions, but the Klingons and Sala are ready for action. Uh, the president starts to smooth things over, and he says that they're going to adjourn. <laughs> says that they're going to adjourn to a private chamber to discuss matters um, at hand. So, just the uh, Federation people are going to go talk. So, the Klingons demand that Kirk be led away in chains. And there's a bit back and forth about the Klingons killing David. When the Klingons state that David died because he was weak. Kirk is about to attack when Spock and McCoy are able to hold him back. As the three groups are separating, Sala's small lackey says, All hail Sala, which angers the Klingon named Clevis, who then beams the little guy with a thrown apple. In the Enterprise Lounge, Ahura and Blaze start to have a woman-to-woman -woman discussion. They talk a little bit about names, and Blaze confides to Ahura what her full name is by whispering it into her ear. Ahura promises not to tell anybody, but they all have a good laugh about it. Then they start to get into the real topic uh, that Blaze wishes to discuss, and that is men. Before they can get started, though, Ahura decides that they should change locations. And then in parentheses I put here, and God bless her for doing so, more on that later which I guess we'll talk about later. Back on Earth, Kirk, McCoy, and Chekhov discuss Kirk's repeated comment from Star Trek IV about how the glasses that McCoy gave him as a gift will be his again uh, when he gives them to him again in Star Trek II. Uh, Chekhov tries to rationalize the comment, saying that they were never made since they came into existence when Kirk brought them back to the pawn shop back in 1984. Uh, I really don't know what he's talking about here. Uh, really some flawed uh, time travel logic, but we'll just go with it. Spock and Sarek meet, and Sarek asks about the nature of friendship. Spock explains that it is being happy when you see someone, even though you, don't, even though you want to be alone, heeding someone's advice, even though it's not wanted, and etc., Sarek explains that Amanda will not outlive him and that he will want uh, some sort of friendship in the hundred plus years after she dies. And I guess he, he's implying that he will never get remarried, which, which we know he, he will do. Back on the Enterprise, Sulu, um, Lieutenant Miara, which is the uh, devil-looking girl, and Lieutenant Lee all arrive in the turbo lift together. When Lee sees that uh, Sulu's already with Miera, she offers to leave. Sulu notices the discomfort and puts his foot down, saying that the two women need to work out whatever's going on between them. Back on Earth, Kirk meets with his lawyers, and they are Samuel Cogsley and a real Shaw, who is now a real Shaw Cogsley. And uh, both of these lawyers we met in the season one episode, Court Martial. Samuel Cogsley was Kirk's lawyer in that instance, and a real Shaw was the um, prosecutor. And she also has a, a history with Kirk. 
So it seems that after that uh, trial, the two of them fell in love and eventually got married. Elsewhere on Earth, Ahura and Blaze are enjoying some beautiful waterfalls and a lovely pond swimming around in it. Ahura is in a bikini and Blaze is in a one-piece that seems to be missing the right side based on 21st century bathing suit styles. So it's basically two-thirds of a bathing suit. Hamana, hamana, hamana. <laughs> yeah, her, her, her hand is always strategically placed. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, so anyways, Blaze admits to Ahura that she has feelings for Kirk, but is conflicted about acting on them due to how it would look for her career. You know, falling in love with the person you're supposed to be spying on. I can see how that might not do too well for her career. All right, so meanwhile, Scotty visits a grave in Glasgow, and it's the grave of his nephew that died in Star Trek II. Scotty talks a bit about what's happened since uh, his nephew's death, and that he wishes he really was a miracle worker and would somehow be able to bring his nephew back to life. At the council building, Kirk is given some last-minute reassurances from the Cogsleys and McCoy and Spock. He enters the courtroom and is ready to stand trial. To be continued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, this is a pretty good setup, I thought. Yeah. And I'm yeah. actually buying the uh, Blaze Kirk relationship a little bit more. You know, in that she has a crush on him. Yeah, well, who wouldn't? It's Kirk. What do you want? What do you want? Even though he's ancient, and she, although she has some graying, she's depicted as having some gray in her black hair. A fair amount of gray in her black hair. She's still, in most issues, more black-haired than than gray. But she's just got an incredible shape, which is uh, quite impressive. Especially in the bathing suit. (laughs) That is a heck of a bathing suit. I mean, I can just see being like a 13-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid, and then getting this issue, and then seeing this and going, Whoa! Uh, Yeah! Ohura! You are ancient, yet you have got the uh, muscle tone of a 25-year-old. It's like it, it, it's totally unrealistic as far as Ohura, I think, but it's quite welcome. The drawing, <laughs> quite welcome. Well, I mean, it, if if she really had that physique, you could totally see how that feather dancing in Star Trek V really would have lured the uh, guards away from their posts. It would make it more realistic. Although, as I recall, those guards were pretty nasty-looking guys. All right, so I remember this 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 issue for some reason, at least these two pages yeah. uh, from back when I was a kid. I don't ah, know, yes. don't know why these kind of stick out. I don't know why, <laughs> but I'd actually forgotten about them. It was one of those things that you know I started reading it, and then I see her swimming, and I'm like, yeah, I think I see a little side boob. I guess they miscolored it. And then I look at the next panel, and her arm is just strategically placed, and I'm like, oh no, now I remember. That's her bathing suit. Yes. It's very racy. Yeah, so basically, for everybody who doesn't have this issue, it's a it's a one-piece bathing suit where the right cup would be completely missing. Completely. So it's just basically a strap that goes from her left shoulder over her left che- uh, portion Breast. of her chest and then her uh, <clears throat> bottom area. But it's a, it's a thong because we get to see some good shots of her uh, butt. Buttocks. Yeah, it's 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 good. I, and, I can and, see. And she's she's quite looking, fetching looking. 
Well, not only fetching, she is in phenomenal shape. Talk about, I mean, I mean, you, you think Uhura was drawn with some unlikely muscle tone. This woman diets and works out on a regular basis. So, hey, it's a comic book. Why, why not draw, draw yeah. you know, the David kind of ideal physique? Yeah, she might be right. Amazonian. We don't know. <laughs> Amazonian. Maybe okay, a descendant of Wonder Woman. I don't want to talk – since you mentioned Wonder Woman, I think the new Wonder Woman, at least the few drawings I've seen, which just rebooted yesterday? Uh, yeah, Justice League number one came out yesterday, and then the rest of them will come out starting next week. There you go. I think uh, Wonder Woman is looking pretty wonderful. In the uh, – In the reboot. In, in the pants? Oh, like the whole package. Ah. Anyway, but let, let's get back to Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it, was a re, it was a major reboot across the entire – Pantheon, or at least it's beginning now throughout all of DC. So that was kind of a major thing, I thought, in in comic book dumb, so I figured I'd just mention it. It is a major thing, and I'm not too terribly happy about it. Oh. Only in that I'm okay with them rebooting the whole universe. I think that's probably a good thing to do. Right. But what I don't like is that they're renumbering everything back to number one. Uh... Only because action comics and detective comics have never stopped counting since they since they were uh, started in the 30s and 40s. Wow. So, I mean, they're almost up to issue number 1000. Oh. They've been published every month since they started, never on oh. hiatus. Right. And then you're going to reboot them back to number 1 after you almost have a thousand months worth of history to show there. It, it that just seems a little odd to me. Oh. They're going to have to prefix all these numbers now with what RB or something? I mean, they got to do something to rec- to. Oh, it'll just be like volume two, or just like this. This starts okay, so with volume two. So this is volume two. Yeah. Okay. So this will be volume two across everything. <laughs> right. But what's <laughs> funny DC is does. that they did that to Wonder Woman not too long ago. Uh, they re they they just said, "All right, it's issue number one," and that lasted for a few years, and then just earlier this year. Um, or maybe it was last year, uh, they decided that they were going to go back to the original numbering because it was going to be issue number 900 or something like that. Right. And so, you know, it was at issue number 13 or whatever it was, and then the next issue was issue number 900 because they went back to the original numbering. So I kind of got a feeling that after a year or so of this, they'll do the same thing but with with everything, or at least with (laughs) – Action comics, detective comics, and um, probably Superman and Wonder Woman. Hmm. But who knows? We shall see. All right, so back to Star Trek. So we'll cut back all to Star Trek. Out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> People might be into it. They're into comic books. Anyway, moving along. Uh, let me just comment on the title page. Oh, yeah, sure. If I may go to the beginning. Yeah. Or near the beginning. How um, did we get back on uh, – how did we get to the, the ladies in the middle? Because they're smoking hot. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, the title page. I definitely noticed that Kirk and Spock seem to be drawn as being far taller than McCoy and Chekhov. Okay. Which threw me off a little bit. I mean, Nimoy being tall, yes, fine. He was always tall. But Kirk being... I mean, Kirk in actuality is you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of the same height as uh, DeForest Kelly and, Con- and Walter Koning. It just seemed like it was odd that they, they should draw them that way and giving Kirk so many, many inches. Hmm. Minor nit, just thought I mentioned it. And I thought the midget Nazgulian 
looks really aggressive and nasty. <laughs> I liked him. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was comic relief. Yeah. Uh, but in this thing, I mean, he was comic relief when things got going. You know, the midget, Nazgulian, whatever. But in here, he looks nasty. He looks like he could bite your kneecap off. Well, he would. Or worse. Or, or well, yes. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. Yes, good point. <laughs> okay. But on that same picture, I love the way the ambassador, the Klingon ambassador is drawn uh, with that huge billowing cape. Oh, right, right. It, it's something that would never work in on an actor, but right. here in a comic book, it looks it looks really awesome. Cool. Yep. Of course, if they did try that on an actor, it would be computer-generated cape. Well, they did try that with uh, Dean Cain on Superman, the uh, the Lois and Clark show. Oh, did they? Yeah, they tried to give him the big shoulder, the the cape that swung off of his shoulders like that, right. but it right. it always looked horrible, like 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 shoulder pads. Oh. And so they they got rid of it after the well, first season. Maybe their tech wasn't good enough. Didn't spend enough money. <laughs> maybe. Oh. Or maybe there's just not enough starch in the world to get your cape to billow out like that over your head and back. But if it's computer generated. True. So, okay, so they that. actually they actually did that physically. It was not computer generated. It was physical. Yeah. Oh well, no wonder. Yeah, you're talking about Lois and Clark, which was it was you know, old. Yeah, early nineties. Well, when I mentioned the computer generated cape, and you mentioned Lois and Clark, I thought you meant they actually tried to digitally generate the cape. Oh no 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 no! I'm talking about they tried to have a really the big cape like one. that. Right, 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 right. Well, I but can see was, how that would look. It was practical. Yeah. Okay. So I definitely do agree. I like how the. Uh, how the Klingon being the uh, the little Nazgulian uh, midget guy in the back with, of the head. With the apple? I thought that was great. Uh, first good thing I've seen a Klingon ever do. I, I didn't like it. I thought it was. I thought that was a little too choky. I mean, it, it has oh, repercussions it later, but uh, right. I, I don't know. I, that was too slapstick for me, I thought. Well, it was obviously a mechanism for a little bit of humor. I mean, when I first saw him in there, the little midget guy... Um, I was thinking, what what are they doing this for? And well, then it was like, okay, for humor. There you go. Well, he had he had didn't he have a little lackey guy? Oh no no no, that was Sweeney. Never mind. So uh, since you're kind of jumping around, did you notice on page five, uh, Sala's face is not colored in, so he has a completely white face instead of the yellow. Well, colors do shift in these issues a bit. Did, did I notice that particular one? I don't think I did. Which uh, which page? Page five, you say? Uh, page five, the top left-hand panel. Oh, oh yeah. But his his head is really small. It looks like a skeleton. Huh. Right. Yeah. So so he's he's behind the Klingon, and the Klingon himself is in the background. So he's really small. But yes, he's got a white face. Right. He looks like uh, the Scream guy. Ah, a little bit. Yeah, I agree. So any uh, any guesses as to what RJ stands for? Because they, they make a big deal about it in this issue. Exactly. And uh, I do have a note about it. I, I thought it was very odd that they, they made such a point of making it so secret in the first place. But I was kind of wondering, did Peter David actually come up with what RJ stands for? And it really is kind of unusual, embarrassing, funny, unique. Yes, or did and he yes, just... and yes, and yes. Oh, okay, so he actually did. Okay. 
I'm assuming he did. It's, it's well, yeah, I know. You're assuming. It's definitely you, something you, that you, he you, would you do. You keep doing that. You keep talking about something like you know it, and actually you're just pulling out of your your posterior. Okay. I I, I know what her name ends up being. And oh. Oh, okay. And it is. Uh, it's definitely for comedic value. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I was just actually I was just thinking to myself did did he did he actually make up something that were all those adjectives or did he just kind of say I called her RJ and even though I really don't know what it stands for I'm gonna bluff it I'm gonna you know just do this <laughs> thing and really it doesn't stand for anything sorry but okay good so it's got a real the real name yeah I mean I, I could tell you what it is but then that would eh, spoil the surprise well we find out in somewhere in the next three issues. Uh, it has to be pretty. Has to be pretty quick, I think. Yeah, because as we'll find out, she does continue to be on for a while, at least into the thirteenth uh, issue. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway, I'll wait. I'll wait. Okay. All right. So uh, the Cogsley couple, I thought, was an interesting throwback to the court martial episode. Yes. I liked it, and his aversion to computers and using paper, I thought, was good. Mm-hmm. Apparently not much used in the future. And the random scene where Scotty's at the gravesite of his nephew seemed odd. I completely agree. It seemed like filler. Yeah, it, it, it must come back. I mean, obviously they're wanting to play that this is really weighing on Scotty. So I'm assuming this is set up for something later, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah. Well, it's either set up for something later, or again, Peter David, as the Star Trek historian, wants to bring something in from the past. Uh, and and if this, so this is the first time. Yeah, so this is the first time they're back on Earth for any significant length of time since. Well, Peter's except death. for Star Trek Five, where they they're all on shore leave, except for Scotty because he was trying to repair the broken Enterprise. Ah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh. So, I mean, he could just be bringing it back in because it's some bit of Star Trek uh, past uh, history that he wants and, to bring in. but And maybe to give him and Kirk a common loss that, that Scotty lost a nephew and Kirk's lost a son. I don't know. Uh, uh. I don't know. It, it's not mentioned in the next two books. It's just like a random one page and then right. Scotty's back to his normal Scotty. Right. What else you got? Doctor? I thought Sulu... When he uh, gets sick of the young females uh, fighting over him, basically, I-, I thought when he said, you guys have to work it out, I thought he se- seemed more like their dad, which is probably about right, since he's he could be their dad. He's old enough. When he chastises the two girls. That right, which, which is kind of weird. I thought it was a little weird. I, yeah, I thought it was weird. Because, you know, when when I have two women fighting over me, I usually don't tell them to work it out amongst themselves and then leave them to it. But anyways, yeah, it just seems weird. If if you're going to try to create a romance between one of them, you should probably have some sort of say-so into which one you're wanting to have the romance with instead of leaving it up to them to. Well, you guys decide which okay. one I'm going to start dating. I don't think that was the nature of his comment. You don't. I mean, he I... obviously knows that's what the problem is. Well, he has to. Right, so he's why not Mr. Ladies something man. about it? Well, he needs yeah, and, and what he's doing is he's asking them to work it out and be civil to each other. 
I don't think he's asking them between the the two of them to figure out which one gets to be with the Mr. Sulu. Okay. I at least I didn't get that. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it plays out, but uh, <laughs> as we'll find out later in this this episode, not too just, well for Mr. Sulu. Shh, spoiler, dude. Spoiler alert. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering. I thought it was odd that to be in a bathing suit where one of your breasts are completely showing, even though it is the future and stuff, I would be surprised if that was like socially acceptable, even in, even that far in the future. And maybe I'm just being a little bit prudish, but, you know, Uhura is like, no problem, yeah, whatever. And of course, yes, there's new beaches even today. It's just, I mean, just walking around with one of your breasts hanging out like that, I don't know. It's, it, yeah, I think I would be uncomfortable. Well, Kirk gets to take his shirt off every other episode. Uh, and nobody bats yes. an eye about that. He's a man. Come on. Sorry. I'm sorry, but he's a man. Gender equality here, man. Uh, if Kirk can show off his breast, maybe. so can Blaze. Maybe. Hi, However, Holly. I'm thrown off by it. <laughs> it's because by you're the in way, the 21st century. And, and by the way, you know, maybe I'm just missing something very basic, but they actually beamed to a place on Earth. This is not a holodeck thing. I mean, they actually beamed to the real physical place that Ohura knew as when she was younger. Yeah, I'm assuming it's in Africa. Uh, because that's where they say she grew up. So right. when she says that she went there as a kid, mm-hmm. I assume that that meant that this was somewhere in Africa. Uh, makes sense. Makes sense. Because when I was first looking at it, I was thinking, what is this, a holodeck or something? It's like, they didn't have holodecks then, as far as I know. Oh. So they, well, they're at Earth. Oh, okay. So they must have yeah. transported someplace on Earth. Okay. So, so I, I like the, cog, the, the Cogsley joke that when Ariel gives Kirk a kiss. Yeah. And then Samuel says something he about how better. He, he's a better <laughs> kisser than she is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I just thought was funny. It reminded me of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where uh, I forgot what her name is, but she basically says, you know, you were a good kisser or whatever, and then both Indiana Jones and his dad say, thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah, why. They're really not related, but no. it's just blonde, that kind of comedy. The blonde, Nazi, the blonde Nazi chick. Yeah, what was her name? I, I don't remember. She was hot, but I not really rememberable. Memorable, I should say. He's just uh, another Dr. Jones uh, woman to leave on the side. Yeah, I remember the I bad guy in that. His name was Donovan. For whatever reason, that really sticks in my head. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say about that one. Yeah, same here. So okay. you want to jump into issue number 11? Let's do that to see what happens next when the title is Let's Kill All the Lawyers. Another two issues with continuing famous phrases as part of their, their, their two respective issue titles. Okay, so uh, this one is all the same people, so I'm not going to say them again. As far as actually, it it's not the same people, is it? I uh, James W. Fry, that's the same. Peter Davis, the same. Arnie Starr, that's the same. Oh, that's weird. Look at the the yeah, cover uh-huh. has the cover says that the artist is Gordon Purcell, but the inside credits say it's James Fry. Oh, interesting. We, you've just spotted a mistake. Yeah, because Gordon Purcell definitely draws the third issue, issue number 12. 
And I yeah, but just 12. now I was just looking at the cover and I said, oh, I guess he did 11 too, but nope. No, 12 was it? 12 is decidedly different uh, writing style, drawing style. Drawing style, right. Yeah. Yeah, so no, you're right. It's James Fry. The, the cover has a mistake. There you go. Continue, sir. Thank you. The cover presents a scene from Kirk's trial. The president of the Federation Council has a grave look on his face, and the Klingon ambassador has a smile. Kirk has a surprised look on his face in response to something a balding, middle-aged guy with glasses and wearing a contemporary 20th century suit is saying. He's pointing at Kirk and shouting, Yeah, that's the mug! Obviously a New Yorker with an opinion. On the bridge, Commander Sulu and Uhura are working to broadcast the captain's trial throughout the ship. Sulu addresses the crew, giving permission for on-duty as well as off-duty crew to watch the proceedings. The title page actually takes up two pages and shows the broad courtroom with counsel for the defense, Samuel L. Crossley. He is making a motion to have the charges of murder dropped since Kirk was never previously accused of anything more than violation of Starfleet regulations. His motion is dismissed by the president of the council. Costley's opening statement is eloquent and verbose, but boils down to say the only reason that they are there is to satisfy political needs, not to serve justice. Kirk is a great officer who should be exonerated. Let's do that and slay the political beast. At least Kirk is convinced. The Sala is next up to bat. In his typical megalomaniacal style, he says Kirk offended the will of the Sala and committed an offense against his divinity. He gave safe harbor to a fugitive from Sala's will and in doing so violated the prime directive. He goes on to say his agents have uncovered many instances that Kirk has a long history of violating the prime directive. The witnesses and documents he has brought to trial will prove his assertion. T, the ruler of Aminiar, was called to the stand. He told the story of how his world and their mortal enemy fought a long-standing war via computer. Millions died, but the planets themselves remained unscathed until Kirk destroyed the war simulation computers. Yes, the reality of war shocked them into a tenuous peace for a time, but eventually it all fell apart. The renewed hostilities were worse than ever and resulted in the destruction of Vindicar, and a third of Eminar's of Eminar was rendered radioactive and sterile. Anan put it all on Kirk's head. Crossley did an effective job pointing out that Anan's computers declared the Enterprise destroyed as collateral damage, and so Anan intended to kill Kirk's entire crew. So Kirk and his crew were fighting for their lives just as Anan was in their fake war with Vindicar. Stammering, Anan showed uncertainty that weakened his assertions of Kirk's wrongdoing. In the hall, Vice Admiral Tomlinson accosts R.J., asking her if she will testify. R.J. says perhaps she will, but is not sure if she'll be asked. Tomlinson asks how R.J. will testify, and she replies she will tell the truth, by way of using a Shakespearean quote. 
Bella Oxmix of the classic gangster episode, A Piece of the Action, is the next to enter the courtroom chambers. The Sala's agents brought him and some of his goons to the proceedings to tell their story. Bella actually thinks he is there to help Kirk, but his description of how Kirk stopped the fighting between his gang and Jojo Krakos by saying that the Federation was moving in and taking over sounded not only like possible prime directive violations, but perhaps larceny on Kirk's part. Bella says they have had peaceful larceny on their planet ever since, thanks to Boss Kirk. The story is not too bad so far, but then Bella starts bringing in briefcases full of cash, which is Kirk's piece of the action that Bella has been saving for him. Bella is such a great guy, he even has something for Dr. McCoy. His communicator that McCoy left on the planet during their last visit. Rather than cracking it open and learning the Federation tech like transtators, Bella claims they left it alone until they could return it to McCoy. On his way out, Bella hits on RJ. Of course, she's hot. She reacts in a civil way to his advances, but with a sarcastic flair. Now it's Costly's turn to call a witness, so he calls Leonard James Akar. McCoy and Kirk are shocked. A fine-looking superhero-looking young warrior takes the stand. He tells how Kirk and McCoy stopped a political rival from killing his mother and himself while he was still in her womb. They did this at great personal risk. Though the Federation's non-interference rules are excellent guidelines, a man must be given the latitude to interpret those rules based on the circumstances they find themselves in. Akar believes in Kirk's wisdom, and that he did the right thing. The courtroom is moved by Akar's passionate oration, and Costly says no further questions. Unfortunately, the Sala does have some questions. And as he advances on a car to ask his questions, their eyes meet in a steely glance. The Sala amazingly changes his mind. A car is dismissed and moves to Kirk, where he kneels before Kirk and tells him that he and his sons are Kirk's to command forever. He has earned this for being the wisest man a car has ever met. R.J. witnesses this moving event, is herself moved. That feel-good moment ends quickly as Prefect Witten of New Brindle, or New Brit Brinden, takes the stand. He tells the story of how the disease that attacked a large portion of his planet's population forced him to make the difficult decision to kill all who were infected. He delayed his order because he found that he himself was infected. The delay allowed a true cure to be perfected by McCoy that was administered to his people and he so that the people were able to be uh, saved, the ones that had not already died. Though it worked out in the end, the prefect accused Kirk of purposely injecting him with the disease to satisfy his own self-importance. It was attempted murder, it was. Kirk, of course, denies that accusation and costly states that there is no grounds for this accusation. 
Some insults are thrown at the prefect by Kirk and Costley, and he leaves the council chambers. The president ends the proceedings for that day. Later, Kirk is surrounded by his bridge crew, having a drink when RJ enters. She sees the crowd and says she will come back, but Ohura states that they were just leaving and leaves with everyone else except for Spock, who apparently did not get the hint. As RJ and Kirk begin speaking to each other, a lovely ebony hand grabs Spock's shoulder from behind and yanks him out of the room. Kirk says, having his triumphs and missteps paraded in front of him today in public makes him regret the way he has been treating RJ since she came aboard. He apologizes. RJ is about to say something important when the doorbell rings. It's Ensign Futon who admits to Kirk and RJ that it was he who purposely infected Prefect Witten. Elsewhere, between the Klingon Empire and Earth, a Klingon ship is speeding on a heading to Earth. Inside, the ship's commander is assuring his important passenger that he will get him to Earth in time for the proceedings. The passenger reminds the captain that when the Klingon Emperor decides he must be physically present to assure Kirk's downfall, it would be unhealthy to get him there late. To be continued. So this Klingon Emperor, he's not the Chancellor from Star Trek VI, is he? Mm, He doesn't look like him. Right, so... Are we saying that that fits into the continuity or not? I don't know. The, the Chancellor was the guy that was killed, right? Mm, right. Yeah, right, okay, right. Uh, who was played by that actor who's in a lot of Star Trek stuff? Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're the same person. So, And this Emperor certainly didn't act like he was relatively new to the job. I mean, as a matter of fact, he's quite gray and old, but huge. I mean, huge and muscular, and probably a little bit of fat, too. But he's a big guy, and it looks like he's been in power for a while. Right. So, So, I don't don't think this holds to continuity that Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek VI have, where the Klingon government is controlled by a chancellor. Right. So, just, just throwing that out there, that that that's something that gets contradicted. Yeah, but I mean, the Klingons certainly seem like the kind of entity that would have an emperor. Well, so is it they... kind of like so? Is, is it kind of like a political thing? So the chancellor is the the leader of the political end of the of of, of the empire, but the emperor is kind of like what? Well, Ultimate I thought that ruler? Kalis, the Kalis clone that that they, that's in that one episode of. The Next Generation. Right. Is it called Kalis? Uh, what, what's that episode called? Anyways, um, they make him uh, like a like just a, a figurehead. They, ter- they, they say he's the emperor, but he has no political right. power. Right. Kind of like English monarchy. Right. And I kind of got the feeling like that was the – there was no emperor before him, or at least not for a very long time. And that, you know, they, they're letting him become emperor just in, in title only. Hmm. Yeah, and this emperor in this in this uh, episode seems all-powerful. He's at least treated that way. 
Yeah, yeah, no, he's calling all the shots. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of need to go see that that Next Generation episode again <clears throat> um, to, to remind myself what what happens with that fake Kalis. Right. I think it's called Rightful Air, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Okay. You do that, but definitely it does seem to be um, something that's uh, suspect at the very least. Yeah. So, anyways. So, out of the three books, this is my least favorite for the week. Yeah, so this was basically like a revolving door of guest stars from previous episodes. Kind of come in, make a couple of jokes and leave. And the comment we had before about uh, Peter David being uh, a Star Trek historian, I mean, th- this is the issue where he really uh, struts his uh, stuff. Yeah, but but they don't really fit in. I mean... Well, it depends. Some do. Yeah, the Cogsley do. But, the you know, just bringing in the guy from Friday's Child uh, and the guy from, what is it, Piece of the Action or whatever that episode well, was. I mean, those just seem random. Well, I, I thought bringing the first guy in, uh, A&T, I thought that was exactly spot on. Uh, who's who was the first guy again? I forgot. He he was the ruler. You know, the two planets that oh, were yeah, fighting no, no, each no, no. other. Absolutely, his spot on. Yeah, but it, bringing in the the gangsters was just cheese. It that was cheese and entertainment factor, and it went on far too long. And the Akar part, I thought was a little odd too. I. I, I didn't think that was odd at all. I think it was great. Yeah, I thought he was. He looked a lot older than what he should be. I mean, because wasn't that how, only like how many years? Twenty years ago. Well, right. Okay, so because that was in season. So, so maybe one or he was. Two, right? Maybe so he was like maybe twenty-two or something by this point. I mean, have to, he could only be twenty because season two happened twenty okay, years well, before. Have, have you ever seen a college football player? I mean, yeah, I know. guess so. He just looks older. But you're right, he does have a pretty smooth face, so maybe he's just incredibly large. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a big guy. Yeah, you think so, huh, Trouble? Okay, yeah, he's a big guy. Uh, and, and, and actually, quite, quite mature for a 20-year-old. And wise. And he ain't going to put up with any crap from Sala. So uh, def- I didn't really go into too much detail on it. But they basically show uh, two separate panels. One showing uh, the Sala's eyes staring at, at Akar, and then Akar's, you know, steely glance looking back at him. And it was basically, uh, you know, it was like a, a war of wills or something. And uh, very surprisingly, uh, Sala backed down. Yeah, I, I, did, I did enjoy that part. I enjoyed it. It's just that, I mean, considering what, what, what a big bad the Sala was built up to be, especially when we first met him. Mm-hmm. It seems like he backed down pretty quick, but maybe that's just underscoring how determined Akar was. And we've also kind of established that I think that Sala, he's used to people just dying because he tells them to. And <laughs> now he finds out that you know people don't, people don't fear him that much so that they don't just die at his command. Yep. So maybe he's realized that he doesn't have power over people like he used to, and he has to resort to some more conventional ways of killing people, which we'll get into shortly. I agree. I agree. That, that does work in well with issue uh, 12. Yeah. So just my last thing about a car is, where did he get those pencils that he chunked out at the... Uh... <laughs> I love that! 
because <laughs> of, of course that that is so in keeping with how that first uh, that first red shirt died in that episode uh i forgot what their weapons were called but they were deadly accurate with those things yeah but these are literally number number two pencils with the little that. eraser and everything where'd they come uh, from I, from the desk i don't know you know, there might be a reason why I need to arm myself. Ah, <laughs> wooden pencils. Perfect. Ooh, number twos. Perfect. That's just what I need. <laughs> Good thing they're already sharpened. <laughs> it saves me from doing from sharpening them uh, as I wait to do my, my testimony. Well, yeah. he, he, I don't remember them showing it, but, you know, Obviously, he picked up off a pencil. I mean, off of the desk or something. But, 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 yeah. I mean, they're pencils. I mean, okay, I understand what you're saying. I mean, they're pencils. Yeah. I mean, who's going to have pencils in 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 the 23rd century? Or well, the only person who would have pencils in that room is Cogsley. Cogsley. The lawyer. Good point. Is there he no G it? in his okay. name? I have Cogsley. I think it's Cosley. And at, at point, I was writing down Crosley, which was totally wrong. C-R. No, it's Cogsley. C-O-G-S-L-E-Y. I think that's two S's. No. Cosley. I'm looking at it right here. It's a G. Cog. To move things along, I will go with what you're saying. Damn right you will. (laughs) I will do that. (laughs) What else you got? You going to talk about uh, the mooks or whatever they call themselves? All the gangster talk. I know we said it was cheesy. No, I'm and not. Therefore, you're done. Uh, with that? I, what, what, do you, what do you want me to say about it? I don't know. That is. Crazy. I mean, I mean, there was a part where, which I didn't bother going over in the synopsis, where Bella is basically threatening the president, uh, <laughs> you know, to play ball and you know take care of Kirk here, or else there will be trouble. And it's like, okay, well, fine, whatever. So, uh, I mean, he's, he's, it's kind of funny because Bella's trying to help Kirk. Right. But he keeps on digging him in with deeper pit. But, but remind me, because I don't remember this episode incredibly well. Um, were they aware of the Federation being out there? So wouldn't this be more of a culture it's com- shock? It's completely more of a culture shock. I mean, come on. Yeah, so it doesn't they, make any they, sense at all. They were worried about leaving a communicator there when McCoy left the communicator there because of possible contamination. And, of oh, course, there's true. already been too much contamination with that book, which they right. seized upon as the pattern for a whole society, uh, gangs of Chicago or something. Right. So uh, the Sala bringing him to Earth and to the council chambers. And, by the way, this happens in the council chambers, right? Yep. Okay. Um it's like, I mean, it, you know, it, this cannot do anything but make the contamination worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. So talk about not talk about not doing the prime directive. Sala, bad man. Even though he's not a member of the Federation, so who cares? But right. But he sure does have pretty detailed records of Kirk's exploits. Uh, they his his minions that did their research did their research very well. I'm assuming Tomlinson probably gave him some info. Yeah, but the thing is, okay, we'll find out about Tomlinson later in the twelfth issue. But do you think? I mean, he—I mean, Tomlinson wants to bring Kirk down, and we'll find out why eventually. But yeah, I guess he could have. I mean, I don't know how else could he have gotten access to Starfleet records? Bribery? I don't know. 
I don't know. He probably wants somebody to do it. I do don't, it or he, die. Exactly. So and somebody said, wow, you sound really, really serious. I don't want to take a chance. Yeah, and we're already scared to death of that dweeby Sweeney guy, and you you actually look physically imposing. I'll do <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> yes, I'll do it for you. Yeah, I don't know. They don't explain where he gets all of his research or the fact that he is able to have his agents go out and gather these people up uh, and, and also determine <laughs> that they're willing to say something incriminating against Kirk. So, you know, they find out about these people. they got to travel to these planets that are not in the same area, as far as I know, talk to them. Make sure of what they're going to say is going to be detrimental to Kirk in some way, because, of course, a lot of what Bella's saying is more embarrassing than anything else. Right. Um, and then get them back. Wow. So it, it, the whole thing seems a little unlikely. Yeah, I wish they would have brought in Adonis or somebody like that. You know, this giant 20-foot <laughs> god comes in there. That, or maybe those brains in the jar that made Kirk and Uhura smooch, you know, those would have been interesting to bring in. That would be interesting, but then they could have maybe taken over Sala. You never know. Or his minions. <laughs> and made him start kissing on Uhura. Oh, no, the Klingon uh, ambassador. ambassador. <laughs> Kiss and make up. <laughs> Don't want to do it. Oh, yuck! Yuck! <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Yeah, uh, I was surprised at the end when Futon came clean so quickly. I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm not surprised because the guy seems very earnest, honest, alien. Yeah. Well, you but, you you figured that would be the case for a while now, so. I figured what would be the case. I thought you said a while back that he would come clean and get kicked out of Starfleet. I did. Uh, I thought you did. And I told you that I wasn't going to tell you. Oh, I might have. Well, maybe I did. I can't remember what I had for dinner. So, yeah, I might have said that. But uh, what I know I said is that I thought Futon would be instrumental in protecting Kirk physically. Oh, you know, yeah. like from, from assassination or something. In actuality, he ended up being uh, very instrumental in protecting Kirk from uh, from the threats of, of of taking Kirk and turning him over to the, the Klingons and the, and the Sala. But you know, he ended up protecting him in ways that I wasn't expecting. True. And then, of course, at the end, he comes clean. And really, when I got to the end of this issue, before I started reading 12, I was thinking, wow, what's Kirk going to do now? I mean, it's obvious that Futon did this completely for Kirk's benefit. And right. then as we find out, he was basically emulating Kirk, trying to find a way out, even if it was kind of a, mm, I don't know, creative, borderline, against the rules kind of, you know, kind of thing. And so was Kirk going to actually maybe try to protect him, the guy, um, and keep him from being thrown to the wolves? So I was really wondering what Kirk was going to do in the next issue. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of what Marvel did in um, The Untold Voyages number five, where Kirk shows up on that ship that was being attacked by the Close Encounters of the Third Kind looking aliens. Oh, right, right. And that one incident taken over and was just like, give it everything you got because that's what Kirk would do. And right, And then he right. kind of chastises him for, uh, you know, you're, you're reading into what I would have done. I would have, you know, taken the ship out to save the people. Right. So it's kind of the same thing here where Futon did what he thought Kirk would do, right. which 
which probably is what he would have done, but it's not what he can tell him he would do. Well, what, what Prefect Witten or whatever yeah. it was, he was a jerk. And obviously, uh, David Peter David purposely wrote him that way. So when he got his comeuppance, you were like, okay, you know, that's fine. You do that. Right. So, but but really, it's really not uh, not the Federation way, but whatever Starfleet way. Yeah, not the squeaky so. clean way. So we'll we'll see what happens to Futon here in a little bit. Yes. I guess uh, I might have already spoiled it. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out the details of it. All right, you done with eleven? I am done. I have nothing else to say. All right, so number 12, entitled Trial and Error. All the staff is the same with the exception of the penciler, who is Gordon Purcell. So he does the last issue, taking over from James Fry. So the cover shows in the foreground some random Klingon. I don't know if it's supposed to be the ambassador or or what. doesn't really look like him, but... Some Klingons in the foreground, and then behind him, Kirk is trying to grab and possibly beat the tar out of him. Uh, and only Spock and McCoy can hold Kirk back. And we see that the um, the little grabber title is entitled Verdict. And it's The Trial of James T. Kirk, Part 3 of 3. And this gets a little wordy just because there's a lot of really, really long speeches in this in this issue. So I've tried to condense it as much as possible, but... Bear with me. Sala goes to meet with the Klingon ambassador. The guard refuses to let him in, and just then the little Nazgul guy slips out from behind Sala's cape and kills the Klingon with a phaser blast. Sala explains that he has just been playing along with all these proceedings because it amused him, and now he is ready to finish the game. So back on the Enterprise, Kirk, I guess it's the Enterprise. It might not be the Enterprise. I guess it's Kirk's temporary quarters. Kirk and Blaze are stunned to hear Futon explain what he had done to Witten. Kirk stops him from continuing his, sto- his uh, story and orders Chekhov to bring a security team and arrest Futon. The next morning at Starfleet Command, they are in Nagoya's office and they're briefing him on what Futon has done. Uh, Nagoya strips Futon of his Starfleet rank and tells him that he will be sent to his home planet to face trial there. Futon says that his people will not convict him for doing what he did because it was to save the lives on New Britain and, more importantly, to save the life of his commander. Uh, Vice Admiral Tomlinson tries to object, saying that Kirk must might have ordered Futon to do it, uh, Nagoya puts him in his place and says uh, that the case is closed. So very definitely the, that Tomlinson is supposed to stop pursuing that accusation. All right, so back in the Klingon ambassador's office, the Klingon emperor arrives. And there is some back and forth between the two of them. And, and the emperor tells him that Krug, who was the commander in Star Trek Three. Uh, played by Christopher Lloyd, was a relative of his and that he will be the one to cause Kirk's fall. The ambassador relents and gives him his family crest as a token. Back on the Enterprise, Sulu is heading to the bridge when Miera steps into the turbo lift. 
She explains that she has taken Sulu's suggestion about handling things with Lieutenant Lee and that she has decided to be reassigned to the USS Einstein. Sulu wishes her the best, and they part ways. Sulu arrives to the bridge and is surprised that Lieutenant Lee is not at her post. Sulu thinks to himself that they have a lot to catch up on later. Back on Earth, the Klingon Emperor is making a very long-winded speech about how much of a bigot Captain Kirk is against the Klingon people. He tries to paint all the encounters that Kirk has had with the Klingons as acts of self-defense against Kirk, and that Kirk always kills them anyways. The Emperor goes so far as saying that Kirk cannot even say the name Klingon without following it up with the word bastard. Kirk chimes in that that might be due to the Klingons killing his son, and then the Emperor says <laughs> that Kirk calls them bastard because they killed his bastard in self-defense. Uh, this does not sit too kindly with Kirk, and he tries to attack the Klingon, but the Cogsleys are able to settle him down, but just barely. The Kirk continues to goad Kirk, bragging about how many Klingons and how many lives he's had to thrown down in order to get to his throne. And he even says that every Klingon life is worth 100 human ones. Kirk explains that the Klingons are not mad because he killed Klingons, but they're mad because that they've never been able to beat him. He is weaker, yet he's always able to outsmart them. And he points out that he is not the bigot and that humans are not the race that is going out and killing and pillaging other races just to prove that they are the mightier race in the galaxy. After all these long speeches are done, the Klingons bring on Commander Maltz to the stand. Maltz is a survivor from the Genesis planet, and he paints a very different picture from what we saw in the movie. According to him, Krug's motives were that he was just asking for the Genesis weapons uh, schematics, and he basically paints a very different picture as to how Kurg eventually dies. When a real Cogsley cross-examines Maltz, and it comes out that he was kept alive by Kirk and is now disgraced due to that. She smartly explains that how can Kirk be a bigot if he did not kill Maltz and the other surviving Klingons, even though they just killed his son and they just caused the destruction of the Enterprise. Maltz is excused and R.J. Blaze is brought to the stand. Ariel tries to get the president to declare Blaze as a hostile witness. She states several negative reports filed by Blaze at the beginning of her assignment with Kirk. Blaze objects, and then she and Kirk have a heated argument right in the middle of the courtroom uh, that basically turns into childish name-calling. Eventually, the president excuses her, and she leaves in a huff. Back on the Enterprise, the crew have been watching the proceedings the whole time. Sulu states the obvious, they're in love, which Ahura, Chekhov, and Scotty all agree. Back in the courtroom... Kirk gives a very, very long speech about how captains need to be arrogant and to think that they know everything because they're responsible for every life on their, on their ship. And they're also responsible for every life on every planet that they visit. He says that he has never broken the intent or spirit of the Prime Directive 
And he says that, and then he finishes his speech with saying that going where no man has gone before is easy. The trick is coming back in one piece. Uh, So just then, Kirk realizes that Sala and the Nazgul are no longer in the audience. He orders Scotty to scan for bombs, which Scotty shortly returns and says that there is one close by. The Klingons mistake Kirk's actions, and they all start fighting in a very traditional Star Trek fist fight barroom type setting. Kirk is able to locate the bomb, which is inside the ambassador's family crest that the Emperor was wearing. He plucks it off the Emperor's chest and throws it in the sky, just as Scotty beams it away, and it explodes shortly above the, um, the Council's roof. Sarek explains to the Emperor that if one Klingon life is worth a hundred humans, then how valuable must the Emperor's life be? Surely more than Kirk's life. The Emperor agrees, and all charges are dropped. Later, in the quarters of the Ambassador, the Klingon is having a heart-to-heart with Vice Admiral Tomlinson, and it is revealed that Tomlinson is none other than a Klingon in disguise. Bum, bum, bum. Back on the Enterprise, Sulu gets a message from Lieutenant Lee, who tells him that she is staying on Earth so that she will not be a bother between him and Miera. Stunned, Sulu says, that sure didn't work out the way I had expected. And then in the closing scene, Kirk is back in the command chair. He explains that he is happy that everything is back to normal without any bounties on his head or representatives looking over his shoulder. Spock looks puzzled and says, I thought you'd been informed. And just then, Blaze steps onto the bridge and asks for directions to Deck 10. The end. The end of the issue and the story arc. I liked how it ended with Blaze. Yeah, still around. Like I said, I'm kind of digging how she's. Uh, I'm kind of digging on her character now a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, she seemed like a know-it-all, a little bit of a spoiled child, especially when they were making jokes and her ending up going to the wrong decks all the time. Why do you keep doing that to me? But now she, uh, and and definitely in this issue, they're drawing her as a more mature woman. And uh, she's definitely in on the jokes. So, like that last line. Can you right. tell me where deck 10 is? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, she, she knew. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, she knew it was a joke before. But now, but now instead of her looking, you know, having mostly dark hair and in these outrageous but very nice looking skin tight outfits. I mean, the last thing she's in looks like something like a school uh, principal might have on. It's pretty conservative. Yeah, that might just be the, the artist, though. I mean, we changed artists. Oh. Oh, well, no two ways about that. That's huge influence. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, uh, I kind of liked James, I, Fry? James Fry's artistry overall more than uh, Gordon Purcell. I think Gordon Purcell still did a good job. You can definitely tell the difference. Yeah, I really like uh, Gordon Purcell's depiction of all the characters. Though. The characters, the faces and stuff. Yeah, I think he does a good job. They're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. He does a pretty good He does good work. It's just that decidedly, R.J. is uh, a, a little bit more, uh, quite frankly, a more believable match for Kirk in this issue, the way she appears. Uh, I agree. Yeah. She looks yeah. a little older than than what she's been depicted as later. Because exactly. like you said earlier, she was this super hot 
young woman with uh, just this little streak of gray hair. And this one, right. it kind of seems like maybe more of her hair is gray than, than oh. what we'd seen earlier. Well, definitely, definitely on the title page where they're showing uh, RJ and Kirk and uh, Futon mm-hmm. uh, in, in the room in Kirk's quarters. She's gray. I mean, every bit of her hair that you can see, it's gray. There is no black. Right. Uh, but now, now later past that, that title page, it becomes more of a, a black and black and, and gray kind of look. Yeah, like a salt and pepper type look. Exactly. But in that first one, it's 100% gray, and it threw me off. Another thing about that, that title page that threw me off is Kirk looks like an action figure. <laughs> I mean, he, he yeah. just, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, he, he, he's just perfect. I mean, the way he's standing there and his arms are, go, are going forward and his hands are open. It looks like he's ready to grab a, a plastic phaser or something. You know, <laughs> he, looks, he looks like a action figure. And then Futon, Futon is a tall guy. He's like a, a neck and a head taller than Kirk. Well, and they, I, I remember him being. Well, I don't remember him that tall. I remember I know. I remember him being very thin, and tall. But geez, the guy the guy looks like an NBA f- center. I mean, he's huge. Yeah, well, in those pictures where he fought um, Chekhov in that yeah. training, right? I mean, they depicted him as being you know quite oh. a bit taller than Chekhov. Oh well, okay. I don't remember that. Uh, I, it was taller, yes. Skinnier, yes, but I don't remember him being that as t- that tall. Anyway, yeah. he also looks a little beefier too. Not as skinny as he was depicted in, in earlier issues, but uh, he seemed pretty skinny here. I thought. Look at the muscle tone and stuff. Oh yeah, he's definitely toned, but he's still oh. rail thin. I wouldn't call. Well, yeah, whatever. We'll agree. You know, kind of like Bruce Lee. You know, Bruce Lee was a little tiny guy, except he was very. Oh, he's cut. all muscle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was cut. So that's kind of the way I picture Futon. Well, they're both if... cut. It's just a mess. A question of how much meat he is depicted as having on his bones. Yeah. And I think he's depicted as being meatier than he, I've ever seen him before. And taller. I mean, his legs aren't... His knees aren't even locked. I mean, look at how... Jeez, and the guy's... The guy's <laughs> huge. Anyway. Yeah, just, just different artists. Yeah, right. So um, I, 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 in getting, sorry, I'm just going to say this one. Uh, um, pretty much right away, Kirk is doing quote the right thing, and basically trying to do what he can for Futon, but he's pretty much throwing him to the wolves, getting yeah. a hold of Nagora and going by the book, and basically he isn't doing. I mean, other than saying, well, he really isn't doing much to protect Futon. No, he didn't so, do anything to protect him. Yeah, so you know, I was a little surprised about that, but I guess it was the right thing to do. But well, plus Blaze was right there, so what? What really could he do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe if Futon would have told him without Blaze being there, he might have been the thought about a little doing bit. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. So this is the end of the trial, and we only get really we get two two people stand stand on. Uh, the witness stand. I guess three if you count Kirk. But uh, why did they not ever bring Savick into the story? Oh, Savick. Hmm. Because she was there on the Genesis planet when David died. True. She True. could say, exactly we were happened. standing in a line, me, Spock, and David. 
we were standing in a line and the Klingon was standing behind us and was going to kill one of us in the back if Kirk didn't give away the Genesis device. When he didn't do it, they stabbed David in the back. That's okay, not self-defense. But... You know, they kept depicting, oh, well, no, David's but... son – or David yeah, died but... because – Okay, but, but he who's on attacked. trial here? Yeah. Yeah, but but who's on trial here? It's not the Klingons on trial. Kirk's not on, but they – they need to try to poke a little bit of a hole in, in their, their story. poor, poor Klingons were just doing self-defense story. No. Well, okay. And, and that's the thing. They were saying they were doing, quote, self-defense of the entire empire by trying to get that dastardly Genesis torpedo. He didn't like dastardly. No, I don't think he did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Um, yeah, so that whole thing where they're protecting the Klingon Empire from the dastardly uh, weaponry, uh, and they were asking nicely for the Genesis and dev- device and stuff, is like, bull! Well, even they if they came, did, they attacked. Nice they attacked the Enterprise. Uh, I mean, didn't, 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 they, didn't they fire first and attack the Enterprise? Well, there's all kinds of things you could have poked holes in, but I, I do agree. It, it would have been helpful to have Savick there. Well, not only that, didn't they... they... Destroyed uh, the Grissom. True. Yep. Yep. Completely. And I nobody think we brought up. Th- no. Nobody I, talks about that. A whole no, no, starship was no. destroyed. Yep. And I think we talked about the, that before when they started this whole storyline, where uh, where the Klingons, you know, want to get Kirk and stuff like that. And I think we were listing off a whole bunch of things that, uh, you know, those things. What are you? What are you guys complaining about? Right. You're the guys that killed all these people and started all these hostilities. Anyway. Right. The Genesis planet was in, within Federation space, so yep. you have no business being there to begin with. Right. It was a top-secret Federation uh, science experiment that did it, so you have no business e- you know, asking right. for the device. Yes. And it was not intended to be a weapon at all. No. Although perverted, it could be. Right. There is a pretty good... Um, novel series called The Genesis Wave, which yeah. is based in the Next Generation timeline, where they get Carol Marcus. She's an old lady at this point, but they somebody forces her to create another Genesis device that creates like this ribbon in space, almost like the uh, like the, the Generations Nexus? ribbon. Yeah, kind of like the that. Nexus. But it's it's the Genesis Genesis Wave. Uh-huh. It just comes and destroys old planets and star systems and stuff. Ouch. Yeah, but anyway, so you're right. It could it could be misused as as a horrible weapon. And and and, and of course that's what they were trying to 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 spin all this to be. But yeah, I mean, with enough counter statements of the truth, they probably could have uh, negated a lot of what was said. But they had to keep uh, Kirk on trial. I mean, they they actually had to keep Kirk in danger of actually being found guilty for you know. For right. three issues, so yeah, I get it, but I'm just saying, if this was real, would the Federation president ever even buy into that this could be, this was really self-defense? I mean, it was all so absurd that it kind of took me out of the story a little bit. Yep, I agree. I agree. Now, Maltz, Mal- I liked having Maltz on there on the stand. Yeah, the Klingon guy. Mm-hmm. I, I like that they brought him back, but yep. And and I buy that he would say that, but I, I completely just... buy that. And part of the point that that what was and what's her name again? I uh, keep on forgetting. I do too. Uh, Miss Cogsley. 
Miss Miss Mrs. Cogley, exactly. And the point, of course, her coming back and saying part of her rebuttal to him is basically he's saying all this and just the way he's saying it because he wants to get promoted, or just out of disgrace. Yeah. Yep. Now, just just for giggles, you know that Maltz is the character that John Larroquet played in Star Trek Three, right? I did not know that. Yeah. I did was, not even. I don't think I even knew that John Larroquette was in Star Trek Three. I think we've talked about it before. Have we? Yeah. Well, I perp- I I, you I purposely promptly for- forgot about it. <laughs> no, uh, he was like a navigator or something, and he was. was okay, one so of the he ones that ended up staying alive. So he was on there just for the hell of it, because he wanted to be on, on a Star Trek show or something. Because he didn't uh, say that much, did he? No, but he wasn't. He wasn't a. I mean, that was before Night Court and all that other stuff, so he wasn't really oh, a, a named whoa. actor at the time. Wow, that is an old movie. I mean, yeah. Night Court is an ancient TV show. Huh, interesting. Cool. So, anyways, what else you got on this this issue itself? I thought the Klingon Emperor had some pretty big stones on him, calling Kirk a bigot <laughs> yeah. against Klingons. It's like, oh my god, that's, that's the cornerstone of your prosecution? It's like, oh my god. And then later he says one Klingon life is worth hundreds of human lives and hundreds of Nazgul lives. You know, that sounds like bigotry to me. Yeah, and how uh, would he how, how would that how would he not get thrown right out of the courtroom by, you know, basically threatening the people in the, in that room? It well, just didn't make sense. Right. But but at least I, I liked how he was standing up to the Nazgul. I like that. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good. You know. You know, yeah. Okay, you think you're that tough? Well, just wait till all this is over. We'll be settling accounts, my friend. Oh yes, I like that. <laughs> now, in regards to that bomb that was placed on him, do you think that the Klingon ambassador was aware of it? Because it seemed sure seemed convenient that he handed over the bomb to. I completely agree. I mean, the I completely agree. I, I was. I was wondering if this was some kind of power play or something that the ambassador was doing, but no. I mean, I, I mean, first off, I mean that's obviously what what the Sala planted right. when the guard was killed. So yep. it was obviously planted it there. You know, did the ambassador happen to notice that the, his pin had been replaced uh, with one that just happened to have a bomb in it? Uh, that, by the way, Kirk could open up easily. Yeah, right. At the end, when he's you know he's showing right. you know, hey see this is a bomb and he's opening up like a com- like a like a makeup compact kind of thing exactly <laughs> it's like I don't think it would open that easily but um yeah I don't think he knew it was a bomb no I don't I, either and no. but but then that makes it like boy that's convenient that it's the extremely one thing convenient. that the ambassador gives to the emperor just happens <laughs> to be the bomb I agree I and agree. it didn't even have to be it didn't even have to be on the emperor's person exactly. the ambassador was there. What? I mean, the ambassador was in the room. Right. He would have had the bomb on. It right. would have taken everybody out in the room. Yeah, so, so no matter what, you would have saved the emperor's life. Yep. It just was even more so when it was actually on the em- emperor, I suppose. I guess. I suppose. But anyways, I, I, I did kind of like how the Sala had to resort to you know, a more conventional way of killing people. Yep. And he just sets the bomb and walks off and goes back to his territory because... He can't really be bothered with whether it works or not. You know, he like he said, he was just playing the game while it amused him and now he's on gonna go on to different do different things. 
Oh, you think he doesn't have high confidence in his bomb? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of got the feeling like he maybe just didn't care. He just, I'll set the bomb, walk off. If it kills him, great. If not, I got my own subjects to kill right. with my stairs. <laughs> I I do think it's pretty. I do think it's pretty risky of him for his plans, unless, as you say, he just got bored with it and just felt like leaving. Because he had a pretty big entourage. And for them all just to up and leave, I yeah, mean... Nobody noticed. That's kind of... Exactly. Well, I mean, I suppose it's, it's... it's Okay, so Kirk noticed. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but, you know, no one else did? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Especially the well, little midget guy. I'd be looking at... Hey, where's the funny midget guy? I, I don't see him anymore. Oh. Hey, none of them are here. What's going on? Well, the funny thing is, is that you just got off of a uh, jury duty right when we were reading these. Oh, I mean, yeah. so when you're setting up there, you notice when anybody moves in that in that courtroom. Well, so I remember when room. I was on a jury, every time somebody came in and out or stood up or did anything, yeah. I was noticing it. Yeah. So you don't think that, you know, a big 20 people, 12 people, whatever, <laughs> how many people was in his entourage suddenly yeah. get up and all walk out? Yeah. Nobody would be like, hey. Okay, so I, as far as I'm concerned, the sexual tension-filled argument between RJ and Kirk in the middle of the fracking proceedings in public is very hard to believe. I, I think it cheapens the story, and although it is a bit amusing, especially the reactions of Scotty and Mohura and all those folks, I, I don't think that little bit of cuteness is, is worthy of the, how I think it kind of cheapens the story, makes it less believable. Etc. Right, I, I agree, and it's it it to me felt like something that would be in a episode of like Who's the Boss or something like that. <laughs> especially when know, it gets, and we know we can't take that seriously. Yeah, especially when it gets to the point where they're like name calling. Oh well, you're a poopy head. No, you're a poopy head. Hey, nobody said poopy head. I know, but it's just as bad. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I don't know. I guess it's kind of like Han Solo and Princess Leia. He's, you know, where they have that back and forth in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, yes, I definitely know that. Yes. Which is a little bit about, like, old Cary Grant movies and other movies from the uh, 30s and 50s, or 30s and 40s. Yes. Yeah. It's something that has been used repeatedly you know, a bunch of, you know, at each other's throats, and in the end, they're in love. <laughs> what else you got? Talk to me. I knew Tomlinson was working for somebody, Vice Admiral. But I was, I although I should have expected it, I was not expecting the Klingons. But if you look at him, he is drawn and colored just like the old school original series Klingon. Um, his coloring is definitely not human. It's kind of a gray, uh, tan, I don't know, something like that. Old school Klingons? Sure. I guess so. Yeah, I kept waiting I haven't seen for you to... I kept waiting for a while. I kept waiting for you to, to catch that. All he needed was the little goatee, and he would have looked just like, you know, Kor and those other ones. Yeah. Kolar, that's his name. There you go. Yeah, I kept waiting for you to catch it. Every week I'd be like, all right, this is this will be the one where Ken just makes a random comment about it. And you never did. And I'm like, uh, No. 
Uh, yeah, so I knew he was working for somebody. Wasn't expecting any Klingons. That's yeah. good. I'm glad it was a uh, that was a that was a good surprise then for you, huh? It was a surprise for me. Was it a good surprise? Oh, it was fine. Okay, it made perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, who has more of a uh, a vested interest in uh, screwing over Kirk than uh, than the Klingons? So that's kind of what this this trial was about. Exactly. The thing that I don't get is. Even though obviously Nagora is now suspecting him and has put him in play in his place uh, in a previous issue, previous to these three, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised he's able to get away with the things he's doing, and there isn't more, well, at least acknowledged suspecting of what the heck's going on with that guy. Right, because uh, actually trying to insert himself in with the president and the Sala and the Klingon ambassador and trying to actually suggest that the Federation gives those two some of what they want. Uh, this actual trial was his idea. Right. Um, makes you wonder, what is this guy's game? I mean, that's... I, I mean, even when he made comments like the best thing that about giving a head on a silver platter is that you can split it into two. I mean, he he's never made any bones about he's planning on having Kurt delivered to the Sala yep. and and the Klingons. Yep. And, and I thought, did, does does he have some kind of vendetta against Kirk because of something he's done to him in the past, or is he somehow that ambitious that he wants Kirk out of the way so he can ascend or become famous for being the savior of a bad situation and gaining ascension that way somehow? I don't know. Right. But now we know. Now you know. He's a he's a damned Klingon bastard. That that was a little hard for me during the synopsis to have to keep saying bastard, but I guess it's not a bad word. No. I just, uh, I, there are a lot worse words. I've just been raised that you don't say that and then here I have in the in synopsis polite, in polite company. And I really enjoyed that line. I loved. <laughs> oh, you call us bastards because we killed your bastard. That yeah. was an awesome line. It was good. And it's funny because it's true. It's exactly. It's it's true. No wonder Kirk got pissed. <laughs> Rightly so. Too. Exactly. Yeah, that, I thought that was that was great. Great writing right there. Right. Which we've come to expect nothing less. From Mr. David. Okay, True. that's really all I got. Yes, that's all I've got. All right, so I think we're going to hold off on the Elsewhere um, because Season 4 hadn't quite started yet during these three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so we won't have any next-gen episodes to talk about, and we're kind of running over, so we'll talk about the books and stuff that were coming out next week. Cool. When we do Next Generation uh, 10, 11, and 12. Excellent. And then, which I'm kind of excited about, the issue episode after that, we're going to do kind of uh, we're going to step away from the 1990s and go into the 2011s, and we're going to go over some uh, of the new IDW ongoing series based in the post 2009 movie continuity, which I'm looking forward to. 
Yeah, that was kind of convoluted sentence. Did that even make sense? That was very. It made sense to me, but we've been talking about this. Yeah. So uh, IDW is and has been coming out. Well, I mean, by the time we post this, it's been out for about three months. But um, they're coming out with issues uh, that's kind of based during the original five-year mission of the Enterprise, but, but it'll in be based... the in the reboot universe. Yeah. So we'll get to see how. How things like Amok Time would be handled now that Vulcan is destroyed and things like that. So uh, I'm a, really looking forward to that series. Me too. But that's that bit's conjecture, right? Yeah, you absolutely. don't know what they're going to write about. Yeah, all I know is that it's supposed to be in the first. It's supposed to be the first five year mission, and I know that the first issue is where no man has gone before, and it's going right. to deal with uh, Gary Mitchell. Very cool. So that to me means that they're going to at least hit upon some of, if not all, of the original series episodes. Yeah. So and, like, I, and we discussed this before before we started recording, but um, though that's cool once in a while, I definitely I think we both agreed uh, we didn't want we did not necessarily want to see um, a retread every issue of old uh, original Trek stories. Right, and it's kind of weird recording this because I know that at least the first three issues will probably be out by the time we post this, and here we are. Conjecturing <laughs> yeah, about but... something to the audience has been out for a while. Right, so you know, I'm hoping that, that it's uh, it's more like what the Marvel uh, uh, early voyages was like, where right. you know you had a few episodes or issues that happened before the the cage episode of the original series and then the later issues kind of dealt with the aftermath of that episode but you know overall it wasn't just a re rehash of that one episode right you know and even the one that they did of that episode it was kind of told from a different point of view so it exactly. was still so it was different yeah and, and this will be different just because it's a different it's a different kirk you know a younger yep. Kirk and a... and uh, and obviously they're not going to do word for word, not at all, right? But but still, they'll probably have many of the same characters. The the, J, the general scenario will probably be the same, but who knows what they'll do? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do like how they they do the Klingons and how they do the Romulans because in that continuity they already <clears throat> know that the Romulans and the Vulcans are the same race, so that. Uh, you know that balance of terror episode's not going to be as big of a reveal when you find out that Romulans look just like Klingons. I mean, look yeah, well, like Vulcans. That's so, going to be that uh, that particular um, element of the story, and of course how the uh, the rest of the crew look at Spock now uh, during that episode. That's an element of the storyline that would would have to be dropped, I would think. Yeah, and not only that, but even like episodes like court-martial and stuff like that where he, he talks about he being kirk yeah. talks about how he has this past with with the other crewmen because they've served aboard other ships right you know and and the new continuity he didn't do that he went straight from starfleet academy to the enterprise exactly so he wouldn't have had this you know rapport with finney and sure. matt decker and all these other people that that uh play big parts in original series trek right anyways I'm looking forward to reading it, and I hope it's really good. <laughs> I, I, although it, everything has not been perfect IDW has put out, they've got a pretty good batting record. 
I agree. And and, yeah. and all the stuff they put out that's, you know, post or somehow tied into the the new movie has right. been really good. Yeah. Like the countdown and the Nero and uh the Spock reflections, I thought was pretty good. Right. So hopefully they'll keep it up. All right. And we'll be right there to do the reviews as soon as we got three to do. Yep. It's going to be fun. So until next week, everybody, take care. And we'll see you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review see you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here